one of my favorite summaries of the Christian life is when Paul says that he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6.10 Paul says, this is Paul, the great missionary, church planter, theologian, says, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I wonder if in contrast with our brother Paul, if we're more likely to walk around pretending to rejoice while we bury our sorrows. <clears throat> Quick to appear happy, slow to reveal sorrow. This imbalance, I think, wrecks havoc in our spiritual, emotional, physical lives. Why do you think we, this is we, you and me, why do you think we all binge on media and food and sleep and compulsively buy things we don't need and work too much and avoid depth in our relationships and fail to be honest with those closest to us. It's easier to create an image that's put together and strong and pretty and capable than it is to be honest about what's dark and despairing within us. Perhaps we prefer to live a lie because we don't want to face the truth. And I think that this is why many of us find praying so terribly difficult. Now, there are many reasons why, why prayer is difficult. Getting up early to pray a little bit before the day begins is hard for everyone. When my alarm goes off, I don't jump out of bed. Are you kidding me? I don't, I don't long to pray as soon as I wake up. There are lots of reasons why we struggle to pray. I think one might be what I'm getting at here. We, we assume that prayer is supposed to be super formal and religious sounding and, you know, right words and right doctrine and, and all that stuff is fine. But when you read the Psalms, prayer sure seems more to me like just an honest conversation with God. When was the last time, friend, that you had a an honest conversation with God. Exulting in His love. Exulting in His goodness, His grace, His mercy. And stating your complaints. Giving Him the, the unedited version of how you feel about what's going on within you and without you. When was the last time, friends, you told God what you really think? 
The Psalms are honest reflections about the full range of human emotions and experiences. They're written by people not afraid to admit their fears and doubts and loneliness and sins and struggles and assaults from the enemy and anger and heartache and confusion and frustration and on and on it goes. And I think one of the reasons we resonate with the Psalms, with what they're saying, because we often feel the same way that they do. And aren't we drawn, aren't we drawn to people who speak things that are true? Who speak with surprising frankness and honesty? Not with a heavy hand of berating, but with a gentle tone of truth and clarity. This kind of honesty, I fear, is often lacking in my own life, my own relationships. I fear it's often lacking among Christians. We say that we're fine and everything is going well, even though it isn't. Given the existence of a book like the Psalms in the Bible, it just makes me wonder why we prefer to pretend we're okay all the time. Is hiding our sorrows and pretending to rejoice, brothers and sisters, is hiding your sorrows and pretending to rejoice helping you walk in the fullness of God? Is it helping you grow deep in relationship with other brothers and sisters? The Psalms are God's way of saying to us, His people, that His people have been, have been a struggling people for thousands of years. The Psalms are one of God's good gifts to us, telling us that He's not intimidated by the things that are really going on, by our questions and complaints, by our darkness and despair, by our sin. The psalm we're going to look at today is Psalm 13. So please find a Bible and find Psalm 13. Psalm, the Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. Just flop it open. You'll probably find the Psalms. Psalm 13. It's a short psalm, six verses. It's a psalm about suffering. Theologians call it a psalm of lament. Did you know that the majority of the psalms are psalm, psalms of lament? which is another way of simply saying crying out or even complaint. This is a psalm written by King David. It says there on the heading, it probably says that in your Bible, it should, to the choir master, a psalm of David, King David, a lament to God by David, who, as we'll see, is on the verge of utter despair. Now, let me just say real quick, you're like, John, this is New Year's, you know, let's be positive. Think happy thoughts. I'm all about positivity, man. I want the joy of the Lord to rule my heart. Um, but the way you get there, I think, is honesty. We're going to get into that. Uh, pretending doesn't get you there. So... Let's begin in Psalm 13 this year with a dose of realism um, from the Bible. 
We don't know all the circumstances behind King David's words here. It's probably better that we don't know because if we knew exactly what he was de dealing with, we'd think that this psalm only applies to people who are dealing with that thing. The psalms are purposefully vague, usually, mostly, on the historical events they're referencing so that they can be applied to any situation. What we do know is that David is feeling things in this psalm that we have all felt and asking questions we've all asked, maybe not out loud, but in the quiet. So if you've ever wondered if God has forgotten you, felt like God was far away, wondered why there was so much turmoil in your heart, if it was ever going to go away, felt that you can't go on any longer, that it'd be better if you just weren't alive, then you're not alone. You're not alone. King David, Israel's king, a forefather of Jesus Christ, struggled with these same thoughts. You see, the enemy loves to convince us that we're the only ones who feel or think or, sh or struggle with certain things in order to keep us on an island and isolated. He knows, the enemy knows the Bible better than we do. The enemy knows that the Bible says that there's nothing you're dealing with that we all haven't dealt with at some point to some level. But he tells us we're the only ones. So we'll stay quiet and alone. He tells us that we're the only kind of person that has that sort of darkness or that depth of despair. But God in mercy comes and he challenges that lie from Satan. And through the Psalms tells us that some of the greatest saints were some of the greatest sufferers. And friends, isn't it refreshing to know that inspired writers of Scripture weren't perfect and well put together people? That these writers were jars of clay just like us. So brothers and sisters, as we begin a new year, here's my hope for this message this morning. Here's what I'm trying to do. My hope is that this psalm will encourage a greater depth and a greater honesty in our prayer lives. That's what I want. I want that for me. I was just telling Mason that this morning. He asked me what my New Year's resolutions were, and I was like, oh, blah, blah. don't do resolutions. But if I want to do one thing, it's this. It's I want to be growing in depth of communion through honesty with God. That's my prayer for you, for us. That maybe, perhaps for the first time in your walk with Christ, you start talking with Christ with honesty. That our prayers as individuals and as a church would be quickened by a sense of of our utterly desperate need for God. My prayer is that God would make us honest in prayer in 2023. So in Psalm 13, we're going to see three things. Here they are. David's problem, David's petition, and David's resolution. I guess David made resolutions. Probably didn't write this on January 1st, but anyways. David's problem, David's petition, David's resolution... 
Number one, David's problem, verses 1 through 2. David's problem, Psalm 13, verse 1 through 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David's problem. David's problem can be summarized like this. David thinks that God has abandoned him and he doesn't know how much longer he can hold on. He's on the verge of total despair and he wonders if he can keep going. Did you notice the question David asked God four times in these two verses? How long? How long? How long? How long? David is growing tired of waiting. Do you ever grow tired of waiting for God? Do you ever grow impatient? Wondering if God will ever intervene? How much longer, God, do I have to endure this? How much longer till you act? How much longer till I feel your presence again? How much longer till I, I, I don't feel this wreck inside of me? I think many of us have asked questions like this. But I wonder if we've ever voiced our impatience with God. Have you ever voiced your impatience with God? How long? This is King David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, asking God to hurry up. How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? Four times. Implied in the question, of course, is the thought that God has forgotten or abandoned him. He's thinking, well, if God was with me, then I wouldn't be feeling this way for so long. Like we all have, you know, bad days and bad moments, bad hours. But this is more than that. This is a, a season, a, something he can't seem to shake. Implied in this question is this thought, well, if I do feel this way, then it must mean that God has forgotten about me. And that's how we often try to reason our way through the despair and darkness that we feel. There are two kinds of darkness we all face, internal and external. This isn't new news to many. There are two kinds of darkness, internal and external. Internal darkness is when we have no sense of God's presence, when we think His love and care is absent. This is what he means when David says, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? That stuff is inside stuff. Those are thoughts in his head, feelings in his heart. And a lot of us, is, we, we, we kind of have a bent to be super analytical with, you know, focus on, and then, or super, you know, feelers, you know. What's interesting is Paul, or excuse me, David is, is getting at both. He's, think, he's, he's being honest about his thoughts. He's being honest about what's going on in his hearts with what he feels. Both are, both are open for complaint, it seems to David. So he's got internal darkness. He also has external darkness. External darkness is when circumstances are not what we want. 
it is, it is, there, there's something fresh about a new, a, a new year. Isn't there something encouraging about the first day of the year? But, but there's also something discouraging when we look back over the previous year and we're like, well, this happened and this didn't happen. Wish this, I wish that. I, we all have circumstances in our lives that we do not want. A mistreatment. Maybe someone ignoring us. Maybe a relationship that didn't work out. Maybe a family situation that is mind-boggling and heart-numbing. Maybe a financial strife that is creating nothing but anxiety and turmoil. We all, at one point or another, feel we've been dealt a hand in life that isn't fair and that we don't like. This is external darkness, if you will. External, circumstantial pain and discomfort. Verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you see what David is saying? God, how long will this enemy, whoever it is, whatever it is, how long will this enemy win? How long will I be the loser while my enemy is exalted over me? How long will I have this circumstance in my life that is incredibly difficult? Having internal and external darkness at the same time, of course, creates the most intense despair. Maybe sometimes we have one or the other, but sometimes we have both. And this is where I think David is in Psalm 13. Maybe you know I had like a three-week bout with the flu and a sinus infection and whatever. This isn't about me, but being sick for me was, was that. External, and I don't know about you, but when you lay in bed sick, it does something to your soul. At least to me it does. There's a, there's a sadness, there's a loneliness, there's a despair that hits you. External, internal, collide and bring you to a place of utter despair. I think this is where David is in Psalm 13. David knows how to handle this despair. We're going to see that in just a few moments at the end of the psalm. But many of us don't know how to handle this kind of despair, especially when it comes to internal darkness. Many of us suppress, ignore, minimize, lie, explain away, or maybe are just generally naive about our internal suffering. One of the reasons for this is that we have wrong expectations about the Christian life, about, about what, it, what, it, what it means to, to feel like a Christian from, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. We might come to Christ and just assume that things are going to get progressively happier. And in a sense, they do, no doubt. Our expectations control how we process and handle what comes to us, how we deal with the experiences of our lives. So, for example, if I lead you blindfolded down to my study, you wouldn't know we're going to my study, by the way, but if I put a blindfold on you and I lead you down there and walk you in and then take the blindfold off, or excuse me, I say this is, um, this is a honeymoon suite, and take the blindfold off, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Not what you had in mind. If I 
blindfold you, walk you down to my study, tell you this is a prison cell, take the blindfold off. You might say, oh, this isn't so bad. I could do life in here, especially if you like books. Brothers would see the books and be like, yeah, this is a prison cell. Get me out of here. Point is, expectations control how we process what happens to us and what happens in us. Does that make sense? Our expectations control how we handle the circumstances both inside and outside of our lives. We think or expect that if we're a good person, if we're trying our best to be a good husband, a good wife, a provider, a homemaker, a good church member, a good Christian, a, a giver, an evangelizer, a prayer, a singer, a worshiper, a servant, then God won't let bad things happen to us and we will feel mostly okay most of the time. But that's a, na- that's a naive way of thinking. Friends, that's... That would be wonderful, but that's not the world we live in. We think, well, and this is, I think, unconscious and indirect. I don't know that we, I don't know that we write this out and, and really think this out, so that's why I'm trying to address it. But I think somewhere inside of us we think, well, if I love God, then I won't struggle with paralyzing doubts. And anxieties that don't seem to go away. If I follow Jesus and go to church, then I won't have a turmoil and sorrow in my heart that I can't understand. And of course, as we, as we do that, we're setting ourselves up for more frustration and more despair. We, brothers and sisters, we can do everything right and it still go wrong. This is life in a Genesis 3 world. This is life in Genesis 3 marriages. This is life in a Genesis 3 imperfect church. This is life in a Genesis 3 job. Sin plagues this world. Everything is broken and twisted. And there's an enemy we sang this morning. I hope you were here early enough to catch the first song, one of the greatest hymns ever written. Thank you, Martin Luther. There is an enemy who absolutely hates you, absolutely wants to destroy you and everything good in your life. We can do everything right and everything can still go wrong for a long time. So, what I'm trying to say is if we have wrong expectations about following God, then we'll likely end up in really dark places. We may even end up leaving God altogether. Some do, some have. But the Psalms are God's good gift, God's way of showing us a better way. Showing us how to Handle internal, external darkness. The Psalms are showing us that honest prayer is one of the means God intends to use to keep us. To keep us. To keep us His. Honest 
prayer is one of the means that God intends to use to buoy and secure our souls. Honest prayer is one of the means God intends to use to set us free, to heal our hearts, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, to make us sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And honest prayer glorifies God because God loves the truth. Please hear that. Honest prayer glorifies God because God loves the truth. One reason many of us, again, this isn't us, this is you and me, okay? I'm just a guy. I'm not any different than you. One reason many of us struggle with this kind of honesty is because I think we're busy in our minds, in our conversations, our, our time. We're busy assessing everyone else. But as long as we're looking at everyone else, we'll find it hard to stop and look in the mirror. Be really honest about what we see there. Spotting specks in other people's eyes and ignoring logs in our own eye is a sure way to have a shallow prayer life in 2023 and miss deep communion with God. But here's the good news. There's great news. But honest prayer starts, can start, will start, I think for many, has started to free us to truly love others and rescue us from the bondage of comparing and competing and constantly assessing other people's lives and being honest about our own lives. This kind of honest prayer to God begins with honestly assessing ourselves, our marriages, our purity, our thoughts, our anger, our conflict, our self-righteousness. We won't be honest with God until we're honest with ourselves. We struggle with this kind of honesty because we're busy assessing everyone else. So one of the things we need is to be set free from always looking over others' lives, other people's lives, and never stopping long enough to look at our own. David was in a dark place. That was his problem, verses 1 through 2. How did he respond? Number 2, notice David's petition in verses 3 through 4. So number 1, David's problem. Number 2, David's petition. Verses 3 through 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. One of the best commentaries, maybe the best sermon I could preach on that little section is to just reread what Emil read for us earlier. What was it, 31, I think? Meditate, linger over Psalm 31 for more on this part of David's prayer. 
This is how he responds to the dark place he's in. Notice, first of all, that David's complaints and questions in verses 1 through 2 led him to prayer. Verses, I mean, the whole thing is a prayer, obviously. Uh, but in verse 3, it gets very specific. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. His despair and frustration led him to God, not away from God. You see, when the darkness sets in, we're all tempted to stop praying, stop going to church, stop going to community group, stop hanging out with Christian friends and other church members, stop reading our Bibles, which of course are all the things that we need the most in times of darkness. David knew this. His despair led him to God in prayer because he knew that God was his only hope for survival. So verses 1 through 2, how long, how long, how long, how long? Verse 3, consider and answer me. Do you see? Honesty moves into petition. Consider and answer me. He asked God for three things. First, he asked God to consider him. Maybe your translation says look on him. Now, do you think he asked this because God has misplaced David? Where did David go? That he couldn't see where David was? No, of course, God hadn't misplaced David. But when we aren't getting the relief that we want, we conclude that God must have lost interest in us. That He must not see us anymore. That He might even be done with us. Because we're, we're just too jacked up. So he says, consider me. Look at me. He, he, here's what he's saying. I'm over here, God, trying not to die. Can't you see me? Don't you care? But even this is evidence of David's faith. Why? Why is this evidence of his faith? It's right there in the text, verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. David is pleading with God for help. He's crying out to God. He hasn't concluded that, well, I'm feeling this way, all this stuff is happening, therefore, God doesn't exist. I'm done. I'm out of here. No. He prays to God. He's crying out to God because he believes God is there, and he knows he has nowhere else to go. Consider me. Answer me, oh Lord my God. I, I think one of the evidences of a, a, a genuine and growing faith is that you start, we start to feel that Jesus Christ is literally the, the only place we have to go. Do you remember what he says to his, or excuse me, as one of the disciples says to him, oh Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. When that kind of thing, that kind of truth starts to really wash over us and get deep inside of us, faith really starts to grow, I think, mature, deepen. I have nowhere else to go, God. My wife is amazing, but she's not God. My husband is, he's okay, you know, he's not God. My church is good. Church is not God. My money, thankful for it. It's not God. My retirement, my job, my education. 
I've gone to these things, God, but I always come back wanting more or not finding what I'm looking for. David is running to the one place, the one and only place, where he knows he will find help. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. So the second thing he asks is that God would answer him. Consider me, answer me. David began this psalm with questions. How long, how long, how long, how long? And he wants answers. Those weren't just rhetorical questions. He wants God to answer him. He literally says that. Answer me, God. <laughs> now, I think there's a way to pray that, uh, pray that by the way, that's, that's with a demanding tone. You know, like God owes you an answer. But there's also a way to pray that kind of prayer that's a, that's a plea. That's a cry. That's an honest, heartfelt request. These were legitimate questions that David wanted answers to. It's okay, brother or sister, to want God to answer our questions. But we must understand that God's answers may not be what we want or may not come when we want. Answer me. Third thing he asks for God for is at the end of verse 3 into verse 4. You see the second part of verse 3? Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. What does he mean when he says, light up my eyes? Light up my eyes. Uh, for all we know, David wasn't blind. He was a warrior. What does he mean when he says, light up my eyes? Well, in Scripture, bringing light back into the eyes signifies bringing new life back into a person. What is it Jesus says? The, light, the eyes are the lamp of the body? Something like that. I might have butchered that. Strength and joy in life is found in the brightness of our eyes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, church members, do you ever notice your brother or sister's eyes, are they dim? Are they bright? Are they down? Are, are you paying attention <laughs> to the people that you love? Light up my eyes. Then he says, if that doesn't happen, he's going to die. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David is in so much darkness that he feels like he's on the verge of death. He's saying, God, give me light, give me light, or I'll die. His pain had created such great agony that he wondered if he could keep on living. Now, I don't know if he's suicidal. That would be reading into the text. But what we do know is he feels close to death. He says that. Lord, do this. Light up my eyes, or I feel like I'm going to die. That's what he says. And I think that many of us feel that way sometimes, at some point, to some degree.
but we're also too afraid to talk about it because we would we, we want to preserve an image of strength. Why is it that Christians of all people have this idea that we need to project strength when to be a Christian you have to admit weakness? Brothers and sisters, if your pain has brought you to a place where you despair of life itself, you are not alone. Please hear me very clearly on this. Suicidal ideation is more common than you probably realize. Can I say that one more time? Suicidal ideation is more common than you probably realize. Even among the people we assume have it all together and are doing great. Friends, I've struggled with this. I know how David feels. Do you? I think many of you might. Maybe you have or will. I pray, though, that you would find the courage to talk about these things with a trusted friend pastor, counselor. One way to bring light back to our eyes is to bring our thoughts into the light. Honesty brings light. Pretending keeps us in the darkness. So God, excuse me, David asked God, to restore this inward light to the eyes of his soul. Light up my eyes, lest I die. He says, if God doesn't do this, he's as good as dead. And in the verse 4, or in verse 4, he says his enemies will think that they've won, that they've defeated him, and they'll taunt him. So he's asking God to rescue him from death, in a sense, and to rescue him from his enemies assuming that they've won because he's in a bad place. Our great enemy, Satan himself, rejoices to see Christians live in perpetual and paralyzing despair because he knows that we won't have any desire to know and serve and enjoy Christ if he can keep us there. So may God light up our eyes, church. May God light up your eyes in 2023, and take away any reason for our enemy to boast over us, to think that he's defeated us. There's a text, kind of an obscure text in the Old Testament, Minor Prophets, that has repeatedly restored and inspired this kind of hope in me. I'm going to read it for you. You don't have to turn there. It's Micah 7, Micah 7, verse 8 and 9. Prayed this, I've, I've prayed this so many times for so many years. Micah 7, 8 through 9. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I will look upon His vindication. Micah 7, 8-9. through 
Our enemy wants to think he is one, but our Savior wants us to know that if we're in him, he hasn't. He hasn't won. That if we've fallen, we will rise. And if we've set in darkness, the Lord will be a light for us. So David states his problem, then he states his petitions, these three petitions in verses 3 through 4. Now finally, number 3, he has a resolution. He concludes the psalm with a resolution. Verse 5 through 6. So problem, petition, now number 3, the resolution. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Despite his despair, David is resolved to rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. His prayers turn to praises. He's resolved to worship God in the middle of the darkness. And this is what every psalm but two does. They might go low, but then they end on a high note. This is what God's people do. It doesn't mean that, okay, I felt bad for a while, now I'm going to feel good. No, it just means that as we walk through the valley, with going into, into, continue in the valley, there is still hope for God's people. There's a crescendo for God's people. There is a steadfast love that can be trusted in. There's an unchangeable truth about you if you are in Christ that you can bank your life upon. There's a high note even if you feel low. There's victory even if you're completely defeated. Do you see what he does? First word of verse 5. So, problem, petition, verse 5. But, but... That's not all that's true right now. There is darkness. Here are my petitions. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. He's, con- he's contrasting what he's said before with what he says now. He's saying, despite all I've said in verses 1 through 4, despite my pain and my sense of abandonment, despite my utter despair, despite my thoughts of death, I'm choosing to trust in God and rejoice in His salvation. I will not let myself stay in the darkness. Where does the strength for David's resolve come from? Verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. The term, anytime you see that word, brothers and sisters, you're reading the Old Testament, you see that phrase, steadfast love. It's one Hebrew word, hesed. It's a massively important word. It It means God's covenant love. It's a special love that He has for His people that's unlike the kind of general love He has for all people. But I have trusted in your hesed, your covenant love. Your unchanging, unfailing, loyal love to your people. Your unfailing love towards your failing people. Your loyal love to your disloyal people. Your unchanging love to your changing people. This This word, this 
Hesed is the redeeming and specific love that God has for His specific people. And as, as David meditates on this, as David remembers the mercy and love of God toward the people of Israel, how He loved them and redeemed them and provided for them despite their sin, David's heart rejoices. But I have trusted in your hesed, in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. God's saving love toward Israel was why he could trust in God while also being frustrated with God. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. David's trust in God's love creates joy. My heart shall rejoice. His joy then, verse 6, leads to singing. I will sing to the Lord. Singing is one of the primary means that God has given the church to express our joy in God's love. Singing, singing in church is a result of trusting and rejoicing in the love of God. You're like, John, I don't know. I don't always really love the songs. Sometimes they're new. Sometimes they're this, that, or the other. Okay, that's fine. We all feel those things. We all think those things about songs. But this text says that God's love creates a kind of joy in our hearts that makes us want to sing. And by the way, thank you, Mason Smith, for leading us and Preston more recently. Thank you for leading us faithfully week after week for what, how many years in singing. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Where would, where would the church be without our songs? Have you ever thought about other religions? They might have chants, you know, they might have kind of like these things they say on repeat. But if you'll... Notice other religions don't have songs. Christianity is a religion of songs. We have something to sing about. Because we have joy in the steadfast love of God. David's confidence in God was rooted in things that happened in the past. I will sing to the Lord, verse 6, because He has dealt bountifully with me. In the past, He's dealt bountifully with me. God's Bountiful dealings with David in the past are enabling him to worship God in the present despite the darkness he's in. David is looking backwards to God's acts of grace in the past in order to find strength to face his present. He's looking, he's looking backwards to move forward. We also must look backwards to move forward. Look to what God has done in the past in order to find strength to face the present. When the dark days seem to never end, we must remember the dark day when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was put to death for our sins. On that day, Jesus was forgotten by God so that we might be remembered by God. God hid His face from His Son so that, we, so that He might shine His face on us. Jesus' enemies on that day prevailed over Him so that our enemies of sin, Satan, and death might not prevail over us. Jesus slept the sleep of death in order that our eyes might be brightened eternally. If we can't say this and mean it because of the gospel, then no one can. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully for me. Excuse me, with me. Bountifully. Bount when you see the cross of Christ, when you hear the message of the cross, when you think of the cross, maybe just think of this word, bounty. Not like bounty hunter, okay. <laughs> bounty. Abundance, bountiful, no end, extreme. I think you just prayed this, Jared. Extreme generosity. 
Crazy generosity. Bounty. Bounty. The cross is God's bounty displayed to His people. Because of what Jesus did, therefore, we must never think that God has forgotten us. We may feel that He has abandoned us, that He stopped loving and caring for us, that He's given us over to our enemies, that our enemies are winning and will continue to win. But we must not let our feelings have the last word. We must be resolved, like David, to remember the steadfast love of the Lord, to remember that in Jesus, God has dealt bountifully with us. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's way of telling us every day, I have not forgotten about you. I have gone to the greatest length to make you my own so that I will never lose you. So, friends, if you're feeling any of what David talks about here, may God give you grace to be honest with him and with others. And may God give you grace to look again and again and again back to the cross where God's bounty is displayed. May God give you strength to run to Him and not run away from Him. Resolve to trust and rejoice in His love. Brothers and sisters, may 2023 be the year when you start talking honestly with God so that you can commune deeply with God. Okay, let's land the plane. John Onwucheka in his book, Prayer. It's a little bitty nine marks book. You can find it in the library. He talks about the turning point in his prayer life. He he talks about how just before he planted the church he pastored, his 32-year-old brother died suddenly. 32 years old, died suddenly. There was no explanation, no cause of death, nothing conclusive in the autopsy, no foul play. He was just gone. He was just gone. Just like that, gone. Omucheka said it was like the air was knocked out of him and he couldn't breathe anymore. He said, though, that for the first time in his life, he understood that honest prayer was like breathing. Listen to how he describes the way his pain changed his prayers. I'm going to read a decently long quote, so bear with me. Listen closely. John says, quote, My filter vanished as my tongue was unhinged in prayer. I was both shocked and relieved, ashamed and angry at the words coming out of my mouth. I called God a liar. He seemed cruel and uncaring. Then, in the same breath, I asked Him to shower me with grace. I felt disdain, anger, hatred. And I told him. I couldn't help but tell him. It all just kept coming out. Pain felt like a truth serum that forced me to confess all of my unworthy thoughts of him. And he took it. Every ounce of it. He corrected my negative view, not with words of rebuke, but words of consolation. While I was drowning in sorrow, he emptied my oxygen tank to force me to come up for air. When I came up to him, I wasn't met with the cold shoulder I deserved, but with open arms. Whatever I was doing before wasn't praying. It was formal, cold, sterile, rehearsed, and rote. 
For the first time in my life, I felt like I knew what it was to pray, to commune with God. When I offered the cares of my heart to God, every one of them, I met a God who wasn't scared to take those cares on as I was to share them. God transformed my brother's final breaths into some of my first. As a result, my whole life pivoted. I finally understood that prayer is like breathing. End quote. He said his pain was like a truth serum, making all his true thoughts come out. Friends, God intends, I believe, one of the things He's up to in our pain and darkness and sin, one of the things He's up to, so He wants to use those things to draw us in closer and take us down deeper with Him. I don't know about you, but when John said, my prayers, how did he say it? Were formal, cold, sterile, rehearsed, and wrote. I feel like he was describing my prayer life. Even in public. You might say, I'm a professional prayer. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do this all the time. And often it just feels cold, formal, sterile, rehearsed, rote. We aren't actually talking honestly with God. We're kind of talking to Him, but not with Him. We're role-playing, pretending to be something, putting our best foot forward, when all the while, God knows exactly where we are. And here's the good news. He wants to meet us where we actually are. With open arms, not stern looks of, get your act together. You're a Christian. You're supposed to be stronger. Not with stern words of rebuke, but words of consolation and truth. When has God ever desired religious duty over truth? God is glorified in honest prayer because God loves the truth. This can be the year that we start talking with God like David is talking with God here in Psalm 13. Talking to Him through prayer like our life depended on it. Realizing that prayer is like breathing. Understanding that our pain is exactly where God wants to meet us. And that pretending all is well when it's not is going to continue to suffocate your soul, not set it free. So brothers and sisters, maybe this is the year where, like John said, God empties our oxygen tank of self-reliance so that we'll come up to the, earth, come up to the surface for air and finally breathe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is a, uh, a text and a sermon that feels really heavy. And it, it feels like, well, well I, just need to, I just need to do this and then I'll be a better person, better Christian, whatever. Father, you know that's not what I'm after and that's not what you're after. So, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to open our hearts, to open our minds, to receive the things today from your word that we need to receive. To, to start thinking about prayer 
in ways that are more biblical and more honest. That we would be shaken out of a cold and formal and lifeless prayer life. Father, I want this. And Father, I know, we know, it doesn't mean we have to get up at 3.30 every morning and spend seven hours with you. All this text means for us, I think, is that whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes, you want to hear the truth come out of our lips. You want us to come to you and actually trust that you can handle the things that are dark and despairing and difficult in us. So, Father, give us a desire for this. I can't do that. So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see the glory of Christ and to see Him as so good and so trustworthy and the kind of God who we can be utterly honest with because of your steadfast love. Help us to trust in your steadfast love so that our hearts will rejoice and so that our lips will sing. Holy Spirit, come help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.